coming, come to coming. Van Damme's complete department store, department store, the very finest values, yet values galore. And coming, your dollar buys much more. Secret oaths and a secret proceedings. Access America. This is your history. This is your this country. Is your this, country. Is this is America. Join us in listening to some of history's America's best speeches. Created by Jarcodes Productions. Go back in, Go time, back with in us. time with us. Right now. Right now. On Public, Public Access, Access America. What did you say this was going to be for? For you? Yeah, this is... Um, I'm doing a piece on... I guess the family, or like how, how you know what it's like growing up with a grandpa who, you know, <laughs> and the whole UFO thing. Um, and then a little bit, I guess we'll just start off with you talking about the the. Uh, is there a way I can turn this down? Pull it good. Oh, it was cold this morning. In that damn trailer. Sounds What's the furnace? We can get it up. Yeah, let's try that too. Now don't turn it on. Let's just kind of go All through right. it. You just want to. You want me to repeat my name, right? Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I know all the details from that, but. So you're Glenn Dennis? Glenn Dennis, uh, anyway, you just want me to say that I'm Glenn Dennis. Grew up in Roswell. was involved in the UFO phenomenon about it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
really having a problem this morning, but uh, I'm just trying to see how to put all this thing together. Here, while we're doing the sound check, I'm going to be moving the camera around, because I have to make sure that I can hear you properly. Maybe a little closer. You can just keep talking. I just say I'm Glenn Dennis, involved in the FO when I'll be back in 1947. Yep. All right, I guess we're ready to go. Um, I guess start at the beginning. It was 1947. Is it on now? Yeah. <laughs> well, then uh, you can look at me. I grew up. You know, most of my life here in Roswell, New Mexico, and uh, I spent uh, most of my life working in the funeral industry. And then back in 1947, I was involved at the Ballard Funeral Home. We had received a call from the mortuary officer out at the base wanting to know information about preparation for bodies that had been laying out in the element for several days. How would the chemicals alter the stomach contents? And, and uh, what was our preparation uh, for sending bodies uh, clear across the United States and what we had to do to get permits to do that? And I said, sir, you're the mortuary officer. You tell me what you want, and I'll do whatever you have to do, because I have to do it. The military has their own on guidelines and we have to go strictly by the military rules. And I said, I better come out and see what you have. And uh, then I can tell you more about it. And he said, well, that sure as hell won't be necessary. He said, just give me the guidelines on what. And anyway, and also anyway, I got an emergency. There's an airman who's over here on this side of town that had an accident on an old Indian motorcycle over here turning the hit a trailer turning into the gin over here on South Atkinson. When I arrived out at the base, there was a field there was three field ambulances backed up against the ramp and they were full of debris. They couldn't even there was so much debris they couldn't close these old swinging doors. They had ropes around it to keep them from swinging back and forth. And so uh, when I Got in, signed all the vouchers, and did everything I had to do, you know, from the business wise. This big red-headed captain was standing there, and of course I didn't know him because I didn't realize at the time what the incident was, and these people were all sent in. And I said, sir, it looked like we had a crash, and I need to get ready for it. And that's when it all hit the fan, you know. Man, he backed me up against the wall and kept punching me again, and then... Then he told me to stay right there and don't take a step. He came back with two big black military policemen and said, get the Cecil B out of here. And uh, so uh, I got real mad and I said, hey, I'm so bad you can go to hell. You can't do anything to me. And uh, he said, well, you want like our facilities out here and I get some bitch out of here. And I said, if you tell me that one more time, I'm going to bust you in the mouth. Of course, he can fix it. You're pretty brave when you're my age. 
Anyway, I busted. I didn't. Anyway, they marched me. They drove the ambulance back. When I got back to the funeral, they said, you don't report back out there till we call you until you're clear. And if you ever reveal one word of this, just reveal one word of this, you'll wish you'd never seen it, and you will probably won't ever see daylight again. So anyway, uh, George Wilcox, the sheriff, was involved in this too out there. And he's the one that called my dad, and he said, Ben, he said, he and my dad were pretty good friends. He said, Ben, I think Glenn may be in some trouble out at the base. He said, I don't know what's going on or anything, but he said, I know there's a problem out there. So, boy, it wasn't too long after that, my dad came and roused me out of bed and told me he wanted to know what was going on, what I'd done to the government. And that if I'd done anything bad, he would handle it himself. And I said, Dad, nothing happened. But anyway, George Wilcox told me, he said, Ben, Glenn is not in any trouble out there. He said, as long as he keeps his mouth shut, he will not be in any trouble. But if he ever reveals what he saw out there, then he will have a problem. So Wilcox was the sheriff? Wilcox was the sheriff at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, his two daughters, uh, these cowboys that came in from the crash site and brought in some of the crash, some of the parts of it, and took into the sheriff's office. See, when you have a plane crash, like on ranches and everything, everybody, the sheriff, state police, everybody's involved in it. And uh, this cowboy, also the cowboy picked up a whole basket full of it, and he brought some of it into the sheriff's office. The sheriff's daughters, I know, still have some of this. But, of course, they're not going to do anything about it either. But uh, that's pretty much the main basics of the whole thing was right there. Mm -hmm. but, now, um, how, long have you been, how long have you been living in Roswell at that point? Well, I moved here when I was in the third grade. Okay. From a little town called Chillicothe, Texas, and moved in here then. So, and at this point, you were how old? Well, let's see. 1947. Well, I was born in uh, 1925. And if you're seven years old, when you start school, about seven years old in first grade, right? So you were born in, did you say 22? 1925. So you're 22 years old. When this, no, 67, 47, something like that. Okay. But my boy daddy was really upset. I mean, he, and he told me, he said, if you're in any trouble, he said, I'll take care of you. Even better, Dale, I'll take so care of you. You lived said. in Roswell at that time, too? What? You lived in Roswell? Yeah, we all lived here in Roswell. Why'd you guys move here? Well, he, uh, <clears throat> of course, he was an old carpenter and everything. Mm -hmm. And he'd heard that there was a lot of building going on in Roswell. And we, uh, there wasn't any jobs in that little town where we were at. And so he talked to some, one of his cousins or somebody, called him and said, Ben, I've got you a job if you really want to move to New Mexico. So I remember we had an old Chevrolet truck, an old flatbed, you know, and he put sideboards and a canvas across it. And all of us kids were on the mattresses back under those canvases. We came in all the way. Back there, Mom and Daddy was up in the front of the truck, but we were all rubbed back there. 
all the way to Roswell. How many brothers and sisters? Well, Bob, you know, is my brother, and I had three sisters. Dean, Dean was my twin sister. She's one that was a nurse that lived up in Amarillo, and she died a few years back from cancer. And of course, Bob, you know, just died here about a month ago. So uh, I'm the only one left in the whole bunch right now of all the dentists. And then your twin, what happened to her? My twin, she was a nurse. She always wanted to. From the time she was a little kid, she'd play with dolls, you know. And she would be putting bandages on them and all that and take care of them and all this. And so, but she wanted to be a nurse all of her life. <clears throat> so I had a job at funeral home. And I said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you to nursing school first because you can't go to a nursing school and work on the side because you're working 24 hours on duty, you know. And I said, I'll get you through college first, and then if, when I go to mortuary school, if I need some help, then you can help me. So that's what I did. I worked and put her through nursing school. And you're, so pretty much your whole family lived here in Roswell? Oh, yeah, we all lived here. Besides? Bob was at the military school up here for years, you know. He was an instructor and athletic director. Bob was up here at the military school for a long time. He was, see, he was also in the military. He was a P-38 fighter pilot and all that. He had a real good war record. Bob did. And they, Bob's wife is still living here after he died. How did they all react to the, you know, the incident your involvement in it and your storytelling? Well, my family didn't, it didn't seem too important to them, but it certainly was to Roswell and the Sheriff's Department and everybody else. Did you ever talk to Bob or Dean or anybody personally about it? Bob? Yeah. I told Dean all about it, but she wanted to know, and I told her about it. When was this? Huh? When was that? Well, right after it happened. In 47? Yeah. Were you, you were married then, too, right? I think I'd just gotten married, maybe. Shit, I don't remember. It's too damn long ago. You, you and Dory? Yeah, Dory. And... I know mom. Mom was born shortly after that. Mom was born in '48. '48. Um, so, when did you start? I mean, besides telling Dean about it after, after um, immediately after, how did, when did you start talking about it more freely? I didn't talk about it until after the war. I didn't, I didn't want to be involved in it, and I never did come out with a story until later after that, when I came out with a story. And that's when Daddy thought I was in trouble, George Wilcox and all of them. Mm -hmm. you know? After which one? When I came out and, and gave this and announced to the, put all the publications and everything in the papers and all that, that's when everybody began to get upset about it. I wasn't supposed to see this was something the government didn't want involved, didn't want anybody to know. This happened on Foster Ranch about 60 miles out of Roswell. Mm -hmm. I knew George Foster and Mr. Settlemyer and all these old ranchers. I knew because we had funerals up there all the time. And they were good friends. And they knew what weather balloons were because they sent them every day from over to Socorro. And these weather balloons, you know, had a little instrument on the end of them. 
And if the cowboy found it, found one of those little instruments, if he turned it in, that's when he got the 25 bucks. Hell, he wasn't making $25 a month, you know, in room and board. So, boy, those are cowboys really looked for. When they rode up on this, they didn't have any idea. And that's when they filled it all up, their pickups and brought in to the base. It looked like fiberglass. looked like today. It didn't look like metal. And then did you, there was a, um, a nurse that you talked to? Yeah, I knew her pretty well. She, uh, when she saw, she's the one that saw the body and, and uh, she's the one that gave me that diagram that you saw on the back of that deal. Mm -hmm. She gave me that diagram. She had a nervous breakdown. They shipped her out and I haven't found her yet. So I'm sure, but I'm sure she's probably in a convent. Her life was going to be in a convent anyway. So I'm sure that's where she's at, if, you know, who knows. Was there the feeling that that her nervous breakdown was caused by the, I guess, the military's reaction to that? Well, possibly had something to do with her early discharge and all that, mm -hmm. probably. She was discharged? Yeah, they discharged her. And she went in to, uh, you know, we're talking about the nurse now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They discharged her. She just went, you know, and she really just lost her, lost her mind over the whole thing. But uh, I've never found her in Noel, but I'm sure, being that she was going to join this convent, I'm sure that somebody's taking care of her somewhere like that. I thought she, she was stationed or. She got orders to go to a different base and then was never heard from again. Well, that was a story that she was shipped out, but that didn't happen. Oh, okay. That was what they put out that she was shipped out, but that never happened. What was her name? I knew her. I knew her. She had a brother that didn't like me with the damn either. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but anyway, one time we, uh, when we were traveling back east and I was going through uh, those old car shows, you know, and everything, I stopped by her house and talked to part of her family. And uh, they weren't too friendly, you know, or anything else. Naturally, they wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. But uh, they were glad. That one of the sisters was glad that I did stop by and see them and all that. That's when they gave me the background on what happened to her. And the, but they didn't know where she was? Yeah. I know she's in a convent. Mm -hmm. I had a... You remember we had the funeral home over in Las Cruces? Mm -hmm. I had to wine and dine all those old boys to get to business. So we were... <clears throat> I had this Monsignor over at El Paso <coughs> at the country club over there because we could go over there. And we had a membership at the country club in Las Cruces, and we could go over there and play on there, and they could come over and play on there. And this Monsignor, I never said a word about it, and this Monsignor told me, he said, don't worry about your friend, she's all right. She just don't worry about it. He said, I can't reveal anything, but she's all right. So let's talk about the, the funeral home then for a little while. You. You went to school in San Francisco, right? Right, I went to mortuary school. I started, see, I was 4F. We couldn't get the military on account I'd lost this year. Mm -hmm. And so, <clears throat> uh, 
I was working at Ballard's anyway, and so Bert told me that if I'd stay with him during the war, that he would send me to mortuary school and pay all my expenses. So that's where I spent the war, was right here, working in the funeral home. And then, and then when, when the war was over, old Bert kept his word, he did. He uh, sent me out to San Francisco, and went, that's the one I wanted to go to, because it had the best records ones that went to Dallas and all that, when they go up and take the state board to Santa Fe, and most of them didn't pass. And, and it was too important to me. I couldn't go out and work and go to college and not pass that board, you know. Mm -hmm. So, but I did real well. And I was on Seaver, you can read right in there. I was on, uh, the governor appointed me to the State Board of Embalmers and all that. I have all those certificates right there hanging up. And did you, uh, I guess, did you just start running the, the funeral home when you got back from... When I got back from Orchard School, I actually didn't run it, but I had a big part of it. The only, when I got into funeral businesses over there at Los Cruces. I see. So you opened your own funeral home? Yeah, we had gent by that old funeral home, went over and bought it. Okay. The, the, the old Nelsons died, and it was on the market, and I went over and talked to him. That's when I bought it. Do you remember what year that was? I don't remember. Fifty-something? I don't remember what it was, but... Now, when did you marry Nana? When did you marry Dory? Oh, well, I met her at, uh, when I went to Nampa. At, uh, I went, see, I promised my mother I'd go to, to church college. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't going to graduate. I told her I would go, and I'd go for one year. But then after that, I had to go where I could get my degree and get in business that I wanted in. And I only lasted a month out there. They, uh, they'd have these 10 o'clock, you know, prayer services and all that. And, hell, I didn't have any money and I had to find me a job. And so I didn't go to them. I was working and uh, I'd go out and work four or five hours and then make enough money to eat on and all that. And they finally told me they thought I was in the wrong place and that I should resign and come on back to Russell. <laughs> they asked me to leave, really. Church to college did. Which college was it? It was Northwest Nazarene College. I see. In Napa, Idaho. That's where Bob graduated from. And that's where Nana, that's where Dory went to? That's where I met her. And then did you go to the funeral? Did you go to University of San Francisco after that? Oh, yeah. I didn't go till after the war. Okay. Bert told me if I'd help him, he'd send me to school and stay there during the war, so I did. Because I was 4F. Oh, I see. So did, did you marry Dory here in Boswell? Yeah, her dad came in here. All the family came in here. Got married here. I see. And then you went off to school in San Francisco sometime later. Yeah. And then you came back here. And that's when, when you came back after you graduated, that's when the Roswell incident was? That's when I went to, when I got back, I went to work back down there at Ballard's. I went to work because I had to pay him back. Right. You know, for my college. So, um, see, when I, re I remember being a kid, I guess I didn't really know your story until until I think I was in high school. 
See, I didn't come out with it until years later, so before I did. And then how did that all come about? Were you talking with friends? And just well, I was talking. I, I decided that it didn't matter now. It had been so many years and everything. And, and so I went and talked to the ranchers and George Foster and Mrs. Saddlemeyer, and we all made a tape of it. And that's when we had a chance to, Walter Hott and I had a chance to inherit all that collection down there, and that's when we opened the funeral, I mean, opened the UFO Museum. That's when I really got into it. So when did you make the tape? Oh, I made, I guess the first tape I made was, I don't remember, a long time before we, before we got the big collection, though. But before the... Before the museum opened? Yeah. That museum right now, we're averaging 12 foreign countries a day. You've been down there. Mm -hmm. And we've already hit the million mark. That's quite a deal for Roswell, you know. God, they come in, the biggest people come in from Japan. They're the biggest. But, uh, no, I, I still own part of it, Walter Hot and I, and Matt Chattel, we own it. We each one of us own a third of it. Like say, we could sure make a lot of money, but I don't want to sell it. Yeah. So, how did you guys how did you guys start the museum then? I mean, what's the process of doing that? Well, we had this collection, and, and of course, Matt Chattel was in the, the real estate business. He was one of the big, he, he really hit it big. We all grew up together, but he hit it real big. He got in with a group and built shopping centers all over Texas and everywhere else. And, and when we got this collection, I went to Mac and I said, hey, Mac, well, we got a deal here. And it wasn't, Mac says, I know the building. I know these guys got the parking deal and everything. He said, I'll go get that building. And he did it. That's where we're at now down there. And he got that building. And see, we also own two buildings across the street over there. In case we need more parking, we own those two. And that was an old bar. Now, we haven't done anything with them, but they're vacant buildings, but we own them. And uh, if we ever need it, we can tear them down. The, I think the building may be condemning them and we be, they will, but if they do, they will tear them down and clear it off and we'll have another parking lot. So you guys decided to open the museum with someone's, whose collection was it? Well, it was a guy by the name of George Fawcett. He started collecting, he's from North Carolina and he started collecting it when he was just a real young person. Collected it all these years. And so he amassed a bunch of papers and books and we made several trips to Roswell and, and researching and all that. And, and, uh, but then he and I got to be real good friends. And we fly him out here. We still do. We fly him out here on the 50th anniversary at, at July the 4th. He comes in and gives, and gives speeches and everything. George is a real important connection on that. He's getting, I don't I imagine, I'm not sure he's coming this year. He's gotten quite old and his health's pretty bad. He may not be coming. But, well, George was a good guy. But I'll tell you one thing, the city of Roswell didn't want us in here. <laughs> didn't want the notoriety? They didn't want it. But now then, when we had a chance to sell out, you know, 
was going to sell it to the Japanese and they were going to move it to Japan. We had the Chamber of Commerce, we had everybody in Roswell, you can't do this, you can't do this, it'll wipe us all out. See, Main Street was completely vacant when Wall Street and Walmart built up four miles out of town. I mean, it devastated Roswell. And uh, so anyway, when we, that's why we're down there, that's why we've got that building. But uh, when they found out we was going, because now then the whole Main Street is back in business, because that's how they, <coughs> Roswell's growth, but mainly due to what we, we the one that got it started and re yeah. reestablished Roswell. What are the plans for the museum? What? What are the plans for the museum? Well, we, uh, Siri and, and my family will inherit mm -hmm. uh, my part of it if I die. And uh, each one of Max's daughters will, and, uh, and Walter Hall's daughters. Well, they all. We all three had daughters. And they will inherit it. And we put back the money every month. There's a big trust fund down there. We we've got a lot of money in trust, so they won't have any problems keeping it open. They keep that thing going. But you have any? But if they sell out, they have to sell to another nonprofit corporation. That's the way the contract was set up. Okay. Do you have any plans for exhibits or? Features, exhibits or features or anything? Well, we're looking for exhibits every day from all over. See, there's a lot of things are happening now that, that there's no... This all started in New Zealand and centuries ago, you know, those petroglyphs down there goes back centuries, which shows complete alien bodies and the whole work. But the Egyptian, the Pyramids were built for navigational guides for UFOs back in those days. That's what they were built for. Not from Pharaoh's grave at all. Not to share it like someday I'd like to go to those pyramids. Of course, I probably won't now, but no one wants to go to Egypt now. <coughs> Pretty dangerous country over there right now. But. Uh, I don't know, it's been what heck of a life, I'll tell you that. I've had a lot of fun. Yeah. So what about um what about like Pam and the series and everybody's reaction to your your story? What do you think about well, all that? Well they I don't think that I think they were all embarrassed. I don't think they saw much of it when we first started this. They like didn't like it? Well, I don't think they didn't like it. I think they were just embarrassed. And of course, you know who started the whole, you know who's the first person that, if you go to the Bible, this all goes back to Ezekiel in the Bible. He was the first guy that rode in a fire chariot and ascended into the heavens. And then, like I said, the pyramids was all involved in this. Well, so it's, I mean, do you see yourself as a long line of, I don't know, it's just people who've been blessed with the experience, or? Well, I think so. I don't think there's any question about it, you know. It, uh, I think the best thing that ever happened to me, really. Uh, not because the best thing, but it was a good thing it happened because we have an income coming from it. And then, like say, the kids will all inherit my part of it, too, so. 
But uh, no, I think it, what else would I have done? When I retired, what would I be doing now if I wasn't down there doing it? Should I have gone mad? <laughs> I collected antique cars, you know, and went to, used to go to Hershey, Pennsylvania and all that. I got an old 47 Continental out here I'm having painted. And I'm gonna, we're getting it, uh, I'm putting in a V8 engine, taking the V12 out so I can drive it back and forth, putting a little air conditioner in it. It's going to be fun. But I'm going to kill that goddamn Mexican if he don't get it out. He owes me a lot of money. I'm going to take him to JP. So he doesn't do it. Take him just as a piece and bust his ass. Had it too long. But, no, it's been, uh, I think we've all had a good life, all of us, you know. Well, okay, you know, she was an only spoiled brat, only child. Dory, uh, having a lot of problems, but... Did anybody ever talk to you about the story from the family? Yeah. Nobody ever told you to stop talking about it, or yeah. they ever tell you that they thought you were crazy or anything like that? Well, sure, most of them. <laughs> what kind of stories do you hear from people who come to visit the Well, this is what I say. We average 12 foreign countries a day. It's the largest tourist attraction in the world. Mm -hmm. And when you've got people, when you're averaging 12 foreign countries a day, that's a lot of people coming in. See, they go to the Carlsbad Cavern and then come on in here and everything else. And uh, that is one, that's a big business down there. And uh, I still think the best thing of that for me, financially and also, you know, helping us. But... Uh, what do people tell you? Do people come? to the museum seeking you out? Well, we get, a, we get some of these religious groups, but uh, all I do is tell them, hey, there's nothing wrong with what we're doing. It's all in the Bible. If you study Ezekiel, he's the one that started the whole mess. That wasn't us. We were fortunate enough that we have the this exhibit is a fortune of it. It's a research center. We're not saying it happened or didn't happen. You make up your own mind. And of course, I know it happened, but the way I was involved. And Walter Ott was the information officer, first lieutenant that released headlines. Roslar Merrifield captured it. And so Walter's done. He's having some health problems, but Walter and I are good friends, real good friends. And Walter's daughters, like I said, our daughters all will keep this thing going. So, well, I know Siri's pretty well involved with the city, so... Siri's too busy with the city to even think about. Right, but she has... She's seen the positive effect that it's had on the city, and I think she'll... Oh, yeah. She'll want to keep it going. My God, you know, I don't know what Ros will be today if it wasn't for us down there. And when, see what happened when this base closed, that's what broke everybody. 
The base closed and Walmart moved out of there, and that was it. Red Roswell, pretty good business, pretty good shape right now. What? Is there anything you wish you would have done differently? Yeah. Not really. No. You mean in my life? Yeah. Oh, I did what I wanted to do, pretty much. I think that. I think everything went pretty good, according to. I made a hell of a lot of mistakes, but I worked out of them pretty good. And like I say, I'm proud of my family and my kids. And so what else could a guy want, you know? Mm -hmm. Lee, uh, <laughs> I think Lee was probably the most embarrassed of all of us. Why is that? And all this happened, everything. Why is that? I don't think he really, he never did believe in this at all. Got damn shirt. But, uh, <laughs> I think Lee was really, really embarrassed. Of course, he was at Ohio State, you know, and all that. Case Western Reserve and everything. Got a hell of an education. Do you have, does it happen a lot that you get skeptics coming up to you? Do what? That you get skeptics? I think, probably. Yeah. I don't know. But they don't ever confront you face to face or anything? Yeah. How many times do you think you told the story over? Oh shit, then. There's no telling. I mean, History Channel and some mysteries. Uh, busloads every day come in when I'm down there. And there's no telling how many people we've done. No telling. Most people already know more about it. They know when they're coming in because that's why they're coming in. Down. And then when they see Walter and I are there, that's just icing on the cake. And, like that little deal there. We sit there all the time they're there signing those things. And Walter gives his little speed and I get go down to the front. We take everybody down there and seat them, bus loads down to the front. And Walter gives his little speech and I get mine. And, oh, it's big. It's really big. Mm -hmm. Do you have people who, who've talked to you but don't want to be known? Oh yeah, we have a lot of cases that we know who they are, but they won't sign them or anything because they don't want. See, a lot of people, there's still a lot of people don't believe in all this. Mm -hmm. And another thing, a lot of these families don't want all these researchers coming to their house and driving them crazy. Mm -hmm. So, well, Stan Freeman is the worst that he he'll travel across the United States or anywhere else and just to get a story, you know. Mm -hmm. But he's really a top dog and all of it. But, uh, no, I'm certainly not ashamed. I'm certainly not a, I don't regret starting this at all. And it's really been good for us. So. All right. Well, that's it. That's all the questions I have. <laughs> Well, that's kind of pretty good background of what we just discussed generally. Yeah.
Hey, Petey, have you heard about this new podcast, Public Access America? You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, TuneIn Radio, and even the Stitcher Smart Radio app. It's so cool. Not good, not But are you a German spy? Because that sounds like technology. It's like that new thing, the radio, or a newspaper for your ears. You can even follow their production company, Jar Codes, on Twitter or Facebook and find all new episodes posted every day. Oh, that's cool. I don't care nothing about no planes, but I gotta hear the latest episode of Public Access America now. Oh, watch the bomb. You can even go to their YouTube channel at Public Access America and find great videos from our time. It's so cool. Go check out Public Access America.